New Black Nation, your political digest with a Black conservative twist. Hello, everyone. I am Brandon Wong. And I'm Gregory Victorin. And this is another edition of New Black Nation, your digest into a conservative Black twist and how to actually solve some real issues going on in the Black community. I'm very happy to have all of you uh, listening in for our third segment, which will be a continuation from our last segment um, that we t- spoke a little bit about, um, but focusing more on some of the things that Black immigrants and immigrants in general have done to really kind of catapult themselves ahead in the United States. Um, and we're going to share a couple of those stories. Um, so in, in an attempt to really help you think about what you might uh, be able to do um, in order to get ahead if you're not already ahead. Um, so we'll start a li- uh, start it off with Greg uh, talking about some of his stories. Um, and as always, I'll kind of pose a question to you first to kind of start us off. Um, and that question is, do you think that it is impossible for Black-born Americans to get ahead in the United States under the current system? And if no or yes, why is that so? Perhaps bringing in some of the examples that we're going to talk about today. Well, based on my own experience and people that I have spoke to, that become very successful uh, and very quickly. Um, again, you know, there, there is something that uh, we did not teach uh, to our children. Uh, is you know, is saving. Um, in business, you know, you need capital in order for you to uh, be successful. Even for you know, in order for you to get a loan from the bank, you have to have good credit and and you have to have a good saving some of my friends um for example from haiti uh, some of them from jamaica and other places um they come in this country within a year they already opened up a business some um, dominican friends that i know as well as fact there's a, a woman i work with um she had um two corner stores and when I asked them, well, you know, how did you guys, you know, um, get ahead so quickly and so fast? They had saving. They had what, what we call capital. And because they had that, and it was easy for them to get a loan um, to, um, from a bank to, um, you know, finish, you know, to continue their businesses. They had a, a, a good... Um, saving account. So the, the takeaway is they were saving and most of them, they had already had businesses back home. So because they had already had businesses, they could also show that in their resume to make it easier for them when they come here for them to start something real quickly. Mm-hmm. So, and Right. And I totally hear what you're saying there. And I think the next segment of that will be talking about maybe some of the specifics and things that they did in America um, and, and some of the circumstances that they maybe had to live under in America to, 
to try to get ahead. Um, but just so we um, round off and complete that um, initial question, um, do you think that it, that Black-born Americans cannot do what Black immigrants or immigrants in general can do in America? They could do it. Um, but then again, you know, there's something that called we have to, um, you know, we train Black Americans' mind. Um, they have, you know, we have to learn how to save. We cannot spend everything that comes in our hand. You know, it, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, if you want to move forward, you have to be able to save in order for you to, you know, if you see a piece of property, well, they're going to need a down payment. The, the bank's just not going to give you a loan just like that because you want this property. No, they're going to want a, a down payment on it, and they're going to want to make sure that, you know, you have income coming in. So, you know, like I said earlier, we were taught in school how to spend, but we were not taught to save. So we have to learn to save money. We have to learn how to save and we have to learn to live with what we have and accept what we have until we're ready to do something bigger. No, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, so would you say that, um, so would you say that that's like a, that black Americans with black Americans or black born Americans, would you say that, um, would you say that it's a, so it seems like you're saying it's a cultural thing. Um, and if so, then what is it exactly in our culture that's being said that is stopping um, Black-born Americans well, from getting ahead? There's a, you know, there's a say that I have to get mine. You know, I got mine, now get yours. We were taught, you know, um, number one, to be selfish. We were, to, we were taught to be selfish. We do not know how to work with each other to, to do something bigger than ourselves. Uh, it's not like they cannot do it because after slavery, we had businesses. Black people had a lot of businesses. So, okay, what went wrong? Right, a lot we, of people talk about yeah. Tulsa, Rosewood, um, yeah. you know, Atlanta, maybe today. So, I mean, if 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 black people were able to do all of those things, um, you know, on top of having Jim Crow and on on top of having the truly systemic or systemically racist systems, um, why were they able to do it? I mean, I think that's a good question to start off with, at least for us segueing into how immigrants move move ahead because. What I'm imagining is that it's quite similar. Well, the immigrants never forgot their history. We did. We forgot our history. We forgot where we came from. Um, we're living in a fantasy that for somehow we could sit at home and still get everything we need. It's, it doesn't work that way. Um, if, if back then, 50 years ago, after slavery, we own all these businesses. Right now, you would think that would have been number one in um, running, you know, businesses throughout the US, um, throughout um, America. But it's the opposite. Why? Well, the best way for me to put it, without being controversial, 
is they were manipulated to think that, okay, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. Dr. King fought the fight. You could just sit home and we're gonna cut you a check and send you a check, you know, every day for you to leave. So some of them get into this mentality that, you know, the government owed me this. The government owed me that. Okay, let's say if you're right, the government do owe you. So what, you're just gonna sit down and say the government decided to give it to you or you're gonna go out and do something for yourself to get it. So when, when we say oppressed, yes, you could be oppressed, but you could come out of it also and be like, you know what? I want something for myself and I'm gonna go and get a job or get my education and do something to come out of this bubble that I'm in. Right. And here's the interesting thing that I find too, Greg. I mean, I, I totally agree with you there. And one thing that I really find funny is that, um, you know, um, perhaps last year, um, I was doing a lot more um, activities with schools. You know, I got involved with a couple of local school services and things like that. And, you know, I'd, I'd ask questions like I did like tutoring and things like that. And I did a couple of Chinese classes here and there um, for people um, in, in kind of like local inner city communities. And the most interesting thing that I got from in, inner city um schools and communities um, was the response to what do you want to do when you grow up, right? Because, you know, I try to, like, for example, when I'm teaching someone Chinese, I generally try to um, ask them questions to figure out, you know, what their interests are, where their career goals lie. Um, and the interesting thing that I found when going to these schools and talking to some of these kids was that when you asked them what they wanted to be when they grew up, a lot of them either didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up, or they said very stereotypical um, career choices or paths, you know, that Black people generally tend to do on the public sphere, which is like, you know, a rapper, um, you know, maybe they, they wanted to... Um, uh, play basketball, maybe they wanted to be a musician or sing, um, and a lot of these very stereotypical kind of career paths um, that were put in. And then that made me expand a little bit more. And it's it made me think about, you know, the kind of subliminal messages that I got, you know, growing up in, in the public school system in the States. Um, and that's the fact that most people and, and, and I, I see this as a tendency to be on uh, hanging on the liberal side, that most people are kind of pushing these type of career paths onto us, right? These very general kind of tasks, you know, be, and, and nobody's really saying too much of, and I'm not saying that this is everyone, but I'm noticing this a lot, but a lot of people are not pushing those kids to dream to be a little bit bigger. Like, why can't they be the CEO of, a, of the company? Why can't they, you know, go and, you know, be a scientist? Why can't they do a lot of these different things? And, and we know that there's a struggle, in, uh, particularly in a lot of inner city communities with, with math or in the country in general, right, with math and STEM. Yeah, you know, science. But, yeah. And they, you know, and they, but at the same time, I feel like it's perpetuated, right? Because you have this kind of culture in the United States of, you know, 
let's pander to you and let's say, yeah, let's, you know, you know, let's instead of actually trying to address some of those real issues, let's just dress it up with a bow and say, you know, there's systemic racism. So you're not really going to be able to handle those things. You're not going to be able to really have access to those things because there's like a white male patriarchy that's standing there waiting to stop you from doing that and being that. So how unhelpful do you think that is, you know, in terms of the mindset, since we're talking about culture? Well, you know, it's poison. You know, the media, you know, is designed to mislead and, um, and, and uh, mislead our children. Um, why, why? Now you have to ask yourself this question. Why? Why is it that I have to be a football player? Why is it that I have to be a basketball player? Why is it that I have to be an entertainer? Why is it that I have to, th these are the choices that I have in order for me to make it? You understand? Why is it that all the sport is one that, you know, I could end up in a wheelchair, you know, if I get hit the wrong way playing sport? Why is it that they're not teaching us, you know, A, you know, um, cellular form, you know, was of um, a black man that first, you know, um, discover, um, discover it. Why, why they're not teaching them, like you say, to be doctors, to be this, to be that. There's a reason why they do not want them to be succeed in anything. They do not want them to take themselves off the ground. They just want them to be where they are because most politician is very comfortable with the black community being where they are because it's easier for them to manipulate them. Right. And it doesn't work for their narrative, right? That, you know, America is so racist and there's, it's impossible for black people to get ahead. It's not, you know, it's not, they want to use it, right? They want to use that, you know, they don't want us to get ahead. They don't want us to, okay, do you want to get ahead? That's the question that I always ask. Do you want to get ahead? And if you do want to get ahead, what have you done and what step have you take to overcome whatever racism that you're talking about to uh, um, um, succeed in whatever it is that you want to do? You understand? Let's say, you know, racism is here and is stronger than ever. Are you going to let that keep you down forever? Or are you going to come above it and uh, um, um, reach for the stars, be all that you could be. You understand? Using racism, you know, is just a way for politicians to manipulate and control the black community and then for them uh, um, to use them when it comes election time. When doctor, you know, uh, um, after slavery, right? Black, 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 black people, you know, most of the businesses they own. They own these things. They knew how to do um, business. They knew how to run a business. But now, you know, it's like everything is like, you know, it's so much socialized. You know, it's like, you know, I have to have fun. I have to have this. I have to go to this club. I have to go to this. Yes, you could have some fun, but at the same time, you have a responsibility for yourself because nobody is going to come and pick you out the hole. The government is not going to come and do it. You have to try to get yourself out of the hole and you have to use the system that the government have put in place to help you come out if that system even works. 
No, absolutely. I totally understand where you're coming from. And, you know, I think that's the big thing. You know, I feel like there's always some government official saying, I have a plan for you, you know, and I have a plan to make something work. But the funny thing about it is, is that we, we really rarely see those plans actually being enacted. In actuality, we consistently get more and more you know, cuts to the education and cuts to those programs and cuts to things that might make Black-born American children, you know, think to be more and do more. And I, I just find it very, um, very, very ironic. Do you, do you know the budget for the police department versus the budget for the school department is too... <laughs> you, you'll be amazing how close those two budgets are and the money that they're pulling out to build jails and stuff, you understand? They, if, 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 if they wanted, you know, black people to really succeed and stuff, and anything that they do, you know, they have this thing called minority business enterprise, minority. Minority doesn't mean black business enterprise. Minority could mean anything and everything. So you mean to tell me that you know, I, I can't even count the years, right? From how many years ago, 10, 20 years ago, let's go back 20 years ago, right? All the businesses that are being built, everything that's, you know, uh, uh, you have um, Amazon, all these guys, you know, uh, Facebook, you know, you have um, Walmart, all these big companies, right? You mean to tell me that Black people don't have anything that big after all these years. What, what is it that we're doing? And what is it that they're doing? What is it that our parents is teaching us? And what is it that their parents is teaching them? You know, what is it that they have in, in their school system versus what we have in our school system? You understand? So... This question that needs to be asked, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, you know, um, it's the government, it's the government, it's the government. We all know the government is crooked. So we've been depending on the government for how many years now? We're in, we're in um, 2020. You still going to tell me that you're going to depend on the government? You're not going to try to do for yourself? And that's the biggest problem that I have with most people. You hear sitting, um, you know, blaming the government, the government. You know this for 20, 30, 40 years already. We know that we're being manipulated. You know they're not really helping you. And you know after the election is done, every promises that they gave you went right out the window. So you continue voting for them. You continue supporting them. Why? because you're in a position where you cannot do for yourself. Black people depend on government bailout. Not all, most of them. And if you really look at the chart, the people that came from different countries and here, the more independent black people versus black people that was born in this country. The more successful than the one that was born in this country. There's a reason why. Their parents make sure they have the education that they needed. 
in order for them to be success, uh, um, uh, succeed in life. Here, we're not doing that. Right. And I totally understand where you're coming from in that regard as well. And a big portion, um, you know, even looking at, you know, careers in general, it, it was very interesting. Something that was very unique uh, within um, the Black culture was to have your own individual business. You know, the, the, term, the term hustle was something that was very much born out of the Black community, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and there was this a complete generation of people who were complete go-getters, you know, let's sell everything I have on the streets. Let's do anything I possibly can to make sure that I can sustain a wage and, and live. And, and to varying degrees, we still have a few of those people left. You know, you have your Harlems, you have your Norks, you have your Comptons and Detroits where people are really, really have that kind of hustle mentality and they're trying to get ahead. And, you know, they're doing what they can to, you know, sell in hair salons and, you know, all over the streets, you know, bootleg tapes, everything, you know, but the government is constantly kind of stopping them, which exactly. they think that you were, um, that, that, that you would, um, I have a push in. And, and, and again, what, what perplexes me is that all of those cities that I mentioned that have this, you know, kind of vibrant culture of hustling and really working hard and getting out there to do what they want are all being controlled by, uh, Democrats. And you would think that if they know that these black people have this hustle mentality and this, I want to work mentality and I want to have my own and, and do my own business that they would be supportive of that. And they would hundred percent be ready to, you know, help them in any way that they can to continue their, you know, small business in a sense, which is like selling these kind of, you know, bootleg or doing, you know, hair care products and all kinds of things that you see people selling in inner city communities, but they're not it's doing that. It's not like they're not doing it. What it is, is black people is not doing it no more because the government is putting no, 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 I'm not saying black people are not doing it. I'm in contrary. I'm saying black people are doing it, but the government is not facilitating a proper environment well, for them to continue to do so. That's what I'm telling you. If you go back 10 years, right? New York City used to have street vendors all over the place. You know, um, they come from Harlem, Brooklyn, wherever they come in the city and they put their bag outside and they're trying to sell things to the um, tourists. And, the, you know, they were doing things, but the government trying to regulate every little thing that they do to the point where they get arrested and go to jail and they just give up. Because in New York, in order for you to stay in the corner to sell anything, you have to have a permit and you have to pay for that permit every year. You have to pay for it. You know, so every time that they're trying to do something, the government put regulation on them. So there is a lot of um, black people that have a lot of great ideas, hair product, all these things. They have the, they have the, the idea. Most of them would rather be doing all these things that you just named versus staying at home. Right. That's they don't want them they're... to do anything. Right. But unfortunately, they're they're not encouraged to do so. You know, um, in fact, they're blocked from doing so with massive regulation um, in the government. And you know, this kind of 
we just need you to be on welfare mentality that's coming out of, you know, the Democratic Party, you know, and it's just really crazy when you think about it, because, you know, they've done something so unique in the Democratic Party because they've convinced, you know, thousands, if not millions of people to think that depending on government assistance is something that is good and something that's a sustainable model for the rest of their lives. And again, not all black people are feeling that way. Not all people are, are drinking that Kool-Aid that's coming from the democratic party, but you know, it's happening a lot and it's happening in our schools and they're putting it out there and, and making something not available for black students. And it's just really absurd to me and just really demeaning to me. Like, for example, yes, this whole situation and, you know, is just like based on, you know, oh, well, you know, don't worry, you know, uh, you, I'm sure you can get some assistance or I'm sure you, you know, oh, or I'm sure you can get a minimum wage job doing something. But, you know, um, it's OK if you, you know, if you can't, you know, get a better job or it's OK, it's OK if you don't get that promotion or if they hire you to do something, you know, because it's the system. It's a systemic system, the system that they control, ironically. Listen, if, if, if they cannot get you in welfare, they will pick your career, your career for you. I, I remember um, in, in my school, right, there was a, uh, a few of us uh, in the school, and because they had behavior problem, right, they send them to mechanic school. They say that, well, you know, because of this person's behavior, this and that, we have to put them in a special program. And that special program, you have to go learn mechanic or have to change tire. So when you come out of school, this is what you're gonna be doing. You know, you know how <laughs> you know how depressing that could be because there's a lot of kids that was pushing back that did not want to do these things and what they wanted to do, they didn't want them to do it. So, you know, it, it's, it's um, it, let me give you another example, right? And this is something that I faced myself. I was on the bus, um, I take the bus every morning with this, um, these ladies, right? And there was um, some um, students um, and I think it was the Haitian flag day. They had the Haitian flags in their head and stuff. And other kids, uh, Spanish kids, they had their flags and stuff like that, right? And there was a lady, every morning, she's cursing at them, oh, you guys better go back to your country. You guys are taking our children's jobs away, this, this and that. And I just opened my mouth because she got to me, even though she wasn't speaking with me. And I told her, well, why are you criticizing them and why are you picking on them? These are kids. You are a grown-ass woman. If your kids are not doing well, that's on you. You're responsible for your own kids. If your kids are um, alcoholics or drunkards or drug addicts, it's because you failed them. You don't get to pick on other people's kids and tell them to go back home, go back this, because your kids failed. And when I told her that, I didn't know anything about her. The lady just got in my nerve in the bus and I just flipped on her. When I got up, when I got off the bus, another woman approached me um, um, that was with her. One of, um, I, I'm assuming it was her best friend. And she was like, thank you. 
she said she is mad because she had nine children and all nine of them on welfare and they are drug addict. She said they all over Noah asking people for money. So she's mad. So that itself create hate on she hated these kids not because they did anything to her she hated them because her kids couldn't get a good job or she feared that for her grandchildren these are the people that's going to take their job right and you brought so you see what kind of racism this cause mm. black on black races <laughs> right. And and you brought up a really good point, too. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of end with this subject and then really get into the um, the, the the stories about immigrants and what they've done, um, because I feel like we, we started the first segment of the show, um, which was our first half hour to really kind of talk about, um, you know, what we think um, born, black born Americans can do. Um, but you brought up a really good point when you said that. Um, it's it, the jobs are even picked. So when you're not in welfare as a black person in America, the Democrats then are now, or liberals generally are now, you know, conveniently pushing you into these boxes, right? So what do you do outside of welfare, right? Perhaps you are a director for HR. Perhaps you're working in marketing or graphic design, right? Because these are all kind of fields that, you know, don't have a real impact on, on the economy and society. You know, you don't see them pushing for people to, you know, be in economics, right? Even though there are Black people who are in economics, it's, it's you don't see an effort from the liberal side pushing people to get there. You don't see, an you know, an effort from the liberal side pushing them to be in STEM fields and to push themselves to do more or, you know, perhaps do law and many other fields, you know, that are very important. And I just find that really important. I think our audience should definitely sit, sit down and think about that. Um, and, but to really go into the immigration topic, um, because there's so much we can talk on just about that specific statement, but I want to really go more into the immigration topic because that's the center of our, of our debate today. And I really um, want to hear more about some of the specific stories that you've picked up um, over this week of trying to talk with people for this show um, and tell me a little bit more about some of the things that they had to go through to succeed, you know, whether that's living, you know, in very tight quarters or with multiple people, et cetera. Tell me a little bit about what you heard on your journey and, and I'll speak a little bit about what I heard as well. Well, like I said, right, there's a few people that I spoke to that I know that they, they're running their own little businesses. And, you know, there, there's, there's a few things that we have to remember, right? Even though they don't speak the, the, the language of the land, they still own businesses. And most of them are doing pretty well. And, you know, one man told me, listen, uh, you know, some things, even in this country, you know, he had to pay for and accept the fact that this is what it is. Uh, he said, you know, I had to buy contract. I didn't win contract. I buy my contracts. So 
for someone that doesn't understand what that means, uh, I'm not going to get through it, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, what, um, what they told me. And I understand exactly where he's coming from because I have a small business myself. Before, um, because I go for government grant um, and I feel for um, government contracts. So I, the minute that he, he told me that, I, I, I knew exactly where he was coming from and what he was saying. And, you know, the guy told me straight up, you know, if you don't have capital, you don't have nothing. Because another for let's say you want to do advertising, he wanted to do advertise, right? He told me, yes, he had the business, but he still had to get a loan, and he did get the loan from the government. He get the loan of um, um, with a three percent um, interest rate, which is good. But he said if he didn't have a property for collateral, he would not get that loan. So. We have in California right now, um, I forgot the, the place name, right? There's a lot of houses that Chinese people are buying, right? And they're not even living in them. They buy them and they go back to China and they leave the houses there empty. And the reason that they're doing that is for investment purposes because they want to put the money somewhere so the money could work versus leaving the money in the bank. So they understand business. They understand how to make the money work for them and not them working for the money. So when I hear these things, you know, Alex, you know, it pushed me to do even more for myself because if they can do it and they have a language barrier, and they still find a way to do it and to be successful, why can't I be successful? One of my boss, and I think I told you that story once, told me, you know, here's the difference between me as a Jew, you as a black, and a, a white man. And he told me the story. He said, Greg, I'm going to tell you the story. Do not take offense to it, but I want you to wake up and I want you to start thinking about your life. He said, my father died and left me uh, uh, some money. And he said, I put that money in the market and I find things to do with that money to make it grow so I could start my own business. He said, some of my friends, we had got into an accident. One of my friends got $50,000. And he saw all that. He said, why is it that you guys went and bought a $50,000 car where you have nowhere to live, you live in an apartment, you have, you have nowhere to park the car, that money, you just threw it in the garbage. Yeah, you're buying something so, that's going to devalue as soon as you drive it off the lot. Exactly. <laughs> and when you say you have nowhere to park it, meaning that you, you live in the ghetto, they're going to steal it. And that happened before to me. They're going to steal it. Why? It's a fancy car. You don't have a driveway to put it. You don't have a garage to put it. You're parking it in the street. Now, once they steal it, 
If you didn't have full coverage in that car, guess what? You lost your money. So these immigrants, when they come, they came with a plan. They didn't just come just to, you know, uh, enjoy the so-called fancy life that we have here. They came to work. They came to take care of their family. They came to make a business, and that's exactly what they do. And because they have a business, they're able to get better loan, to expand their business more, and it's even easier for them to send for other family members to come over because they have a business. So every, everyone that I spoke to, their story is, is uh, inspiring. They, they, they inspire me to do more. They inspire me to, um, to not give up. Um, it is difficult for anyone to do it and be successful if you do not have capitals. And this is why I say we will learn to spend we were not taught to save. And because we were not taught to save and the system that they put around us uh, to make us think that, you know, somehow the government gonna come and bail us out, uh, you know, whenever we're in trouble, now just backfired on us. Right, and we see that happening completely with coronavirus. And it's funny exactly. how the narrative on the media is, you know, just look at, you know, you know, in disadvantaged communities are, you know, most direly affected by the coronavirus. But my question to them is always, well, if there's if they were suffering so much, well, why did you guys not do anything to help them before? So that that way, when coronavirus comes, they'd be a lot more independent and able to handle the situation and, and be out of that situation. And that, not even before, think about be answered. Not even before, think about it. Now, now people are, people are hungry right now. They're suffering right now. They let you let they let them hang. They didn't do nothing for them. So now, is it that we wake up? Or, and I guarantee you, a lot of people that I spoke to, I know they're already waking. Yeah, and the funny part too is that, you know, a lot of these kind of liberal states have, you know, particularly, you know, gone out of their way to make state funding available for undocumented immigrants. And they did nowhere near as much backflips to take care of disadvantaged communities, aka being inner city um, black and Latino um, communities or Asian communities. Um, so they didn't do anything for those people who are documented, and that's a real big issue, you know. And let, me tell, let me tell you something, right? Not to cut you off before I forget, right? One thing that's important. Um, there's a few people that I know, Hispanic, right? Chinese. Do you know 10, 15 of them live in a, an apartment, a single apartment together just so they could save and start a business? Well, and that brings me to the discussion that I was going to talk about because this is 
the, the heart of really what I wanted to kind of bring out in this particular conversation that we're having on the podcast. And it, it is very true. And being a person, you know, who is from the black community and has is very well traveled. Um, I've traveled to a lot of places that many Americans have not ever even dreamed of going to. I've been to Kazakhstan, uh, Turkey, you know, I've been all, all over the place, China, Indonesia, you know, I've been to all of these type of places around, you know, um, Pakistan, you know, all of these different places. I've gotten a lot of different perspectives and real world experience, right, from what people are doing, right? And to bring, then now bring that back, because now I've also made it a, a habit to make international friends and make friends who are immigrants who are coming here to this country because I feel you learn the most things from those particular communities. And for yes. some particular, you know, stories that I've heard is, you know, and I'll start with the black immigrant community, you know, let's think about the Dominican, the Dominicans, Haitians, Jamaicans, um, Bayesians, there's so many different um, black immigrant class, the, the African, uh, the native African um, immigrants. A lot of them, what I've heard from speaking with a lot of them ahead of this conversation we're having today is there's some common points that I heard. One, the thing that you brought up about Chinese, they, you know, and, and Indians also uh, do this a lot as well when they come, because I have a lot of Indian friends as well, and they talk to me about this. They starting to live together in cramped environments, right? Sacrificing your, your independence, you know, for the short term to really get long-term gains. That's the first thing. The second thing is that um, they do something which I'm sure you've probably heard of as well um, from Haitian relatives, um, and this is called the susu or the sangha. Yeah. And, <laughs> and 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 it's and it's so interesting because a lot of these people and a lot of Black immigrants that come here, they they really survive on that. And Dominican, etc. They they call it in the in Dominican Republic they call it sound. And it's like it's the same thing, but basically just so that our audience who may and may be listening. If they don't know about this, a susu or a san is when you pull your money together. Let's say like 10 people at your job, right? Or all, all agree that we're going to put in $300 a month for, for this san or this susu. And then um, at, at the end of maybe the six-month period or maybe every month or whenever you decide to do it, we'll draw a name of the hat uh, from a hat of the 10 people and those people will get the money. So you may have like $10,000, $5,000, $15,000, $20,000. I've seen sans or susus that have been $30,000 um, respectively. And, and, and they pull, pull your name out of the hat and you get that money. And the, the fun thing about this, which is that's what's better about this actually than, um, then the actual lottery is that every single one of you will actually get that money. And it's really just a better way for you to be able to save your money so that that way you have a lump sum all at the same time. You know, nobody's giving you free money. You, you paid into this Susu, you paid into the son, you know, so you <laughs> at the end of it, it's just simply a way to, that they have figured out to, 
you know, save a mass amount of money because maybe otherwise they may not have been able to do that. And what do they do after they go along with the SUSU? They basically, when they get like $15,000 in one time, because their name got picked out of the hat, they invested into a business. They start a local business, a food truck, um, selling things, merchandise on the side, whatever it is to kind of generate some kind of wealth and money for them. And that's so interesting. And I want you to kind of talk about it because I know you're laughing because you you really (laughs) understand this mythology of Susu and San. Do you know? Do you know that's how I started um, another spotless cleaning? It was through a susu. Oh wow, that's so funny that I mentioned it then. <laughs> yeah, my father know is that I was living check by check, right? Mm-hmm. We, we had this guy in the church. He does those um, twenty thousand dollars susu, and I was like, "Dang, twenty thousand! Like those susu last a year, sometimes two years, right?" right. And my father was like, listen, stop wasting money on things that you do not need and things that's not going to do nothing for you. Give me your money. Give me uh, $500 every two weeks. I will take a hand for you. And then once everything is done, I will give you your money. Now, the reason that he, he put it on himself to take the money for me is because I was scared to join it because I didn't, we didn't know what it was. So he said, I'm responsible for it. Yo, at the end of the susu, when I had 20 Gs in my hand, I put it in an account. And first thing that I have done is create another spotless cleaning and painting. Until this day, I will show you the papers. I'm still in Susu. And it's the best way for me to save because when I put the money in the big banks, um, when I had my account with um, Bank of America, Chase Mortgage, they used to take money from me if the money is not certain amount. And plus they give me an ATM card where I keep spending money because I have this card in my hand. Which, which is one thing that is very important for um, our community, for people to know. Put your money in local banks. Local bank does not give you an ATM card. If, if, if they want to save. If they want to save, put your money in local bank. There's a local bank here in Elizabeth that called Union County. They give you a little book. Oh, yeah, the Federal Credit Union. Mm-hmm. Yes. They close at 5 o'clock. So if you have any plan, you better be there before 5 o'clock. Because once they close, you can't get no money. The good thing for me, by 5 o'clock I get off work, I'm still in Manhattan, so the money is never touched. I just keep adding to it. That's another way to discipline yourself to save. You cannot spend what you don't have. And if the money is in the bank somewhere and you cannot get to it, it's better off uh, um, for you because what you're trying to do, like you said earlier, is to suffer now and get a bigger gain later on in life. And I think um, um, our viewers need to know this. Union county banks, local banks, uh, it's a good thing to look into with the susu. 
Right. Have you ever joined a SUSU? Um, I have, for, unfortunately not. I really would like to start a SUSU and I definitely, definitely want to participate in one. Generally, the SUSUs that I always find and come across between friends are usually a little bit more expensive for my blood because they're really serious SUSU people. They're yeah. like $300, $500 a month SUSUs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do three or $500. You know, for me, I'm 100% in your boat living paycheck to paycheck. For me, I would have to start out small with a smaller SUSU, maybe like $25 or $50 SUSU, and then work my way up to the big league SUSUs. <laughs> like, I'm sure you've participated in since you did the $20,000 uh, fin. Oh, yeah. But definitely. And and that's something that I want to put out there, too. I mean, you don't have to do a, you know, $500 SUSU. You can definitely do a $25 SUSU. You can do a $10 SUSU. I mean, it's not going to be much of a payout at the end, but... And at the, nevertheless, that still might be, you know, four, five hundred, a thousand dollars that you might have, you know, that you wouldn't have not had regularly. And then that will at least give you or set you up with at least a basic saving that you can pull on for a rainy day. You, you know, one thing, right? In Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Jamaicans and Haitian uh, and um, Dominican was doing a lot of susu, right? Mm-hmm. And the government couldn't understand how these people, they are taxi drivers, they're working in factories in New Jersey, how are they buying houses, right? Once the government find out that it was through Susu money, you know they regulate that too? What? Now, you don't tell me. That. Oh, trust me, they tax them on it. That's crazy. Look it up. They tax crazy. But that's Yo, money that they're saving on their own. Exactly. Talk about oppression. Think about it. You already pay tax on that money, right? Yeah, because it's the money you earn from your wages. And you're, exactly. and you're, and you're contributing the same amount that you're getting back. Exactly. There's a reason why in the banks, if you come and deposit a certain amount, they're trying to find out where you get the money from and stuff. If they find out that it's from a susu, they're going to tax you for it. The government tax you for that. What I do, I put it back in the bank little by little. <laughs> and so, um, but it's just to show you, though. It's just to show you that, you know, they really want to keep you down. Because why? Why would you tax someone that's trying to save to take themselves out of the situation that they're in right now? You know, it's not like you know they 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 selling drugs. It's not it's not like they committing crime and getting that money from other sources. It's money that they work for, and you know they work for it because you know they punch in every morning, they punch out every night. You know these people are hardworking people. Why would you tax them on this? You know, and this money it, it doesn't make any you know any sense to me. And the only thing that, you know, that comes back to mind is because they want to hold you down. Yeah, 100%. You know, and if these are predominantly happening, because we're using this in our segment to talk about how immigrants are making a way. And even, you know, and these are, this is one of the major ways that a lot of immigrants are making a way because they're doing collective saving, you know, and they're really pooling their resources um, so that they can get together, 
you know, and it, it's crazy that they, you know, they, the government constantly tries to attack these things. It's like, for example, yeah. the crackdown on um, Hasidic Jews or Indians, right? So a lot of them are, you know, they, they're, they, they're known in a stereotypical way, but not all of them do that. But, you know, they, they're known for living in a, um, you know, like 20 people in a house, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and they do that so they can pull their resources and they live in really nice communities. So a lot of these people are living in like the best areas because it's like 20 people splitting that rent, but then they're living on the floor. Right. Um, and they're living on little, um, pads and things like that, or, you know, um, camping gear, whatever it is lined up on the floors. So, you know, and, and, and the government tries to stop that as well. You know, and it's like, and, and, and at the same time, it's just like, you know, look, people are trying to get ahead. If you're going to cre create crony capitalism and you're going to pander to all of your rich, rich donors, at least give us the opportunity to be able to do our own thing and, and try to make the system work regardless of how horrible it is. You know, America was not built like that. America was built on freedom and liberty and independence and the right to be able to do what you need to do and pursue your own level of happiness. And at every turn, it just seems that the government is consistently trying to make you the most unhappiest person in the world, you know, and it's just like, you know, and it's good, you know, people are going to continue to be resourceful. And even though you see people, you know, start taxing, you know, money that you save yourself, you know, through susus and things like that, people are still finding ways around it. And I'm glad when people they are finding ways around it because, but it just goes to show it's hard, you know, but it's hard, but, you know, it's not impossible to try to get ahead. You know, we're very resourceful as a people. And I think if we band together and understand that collective mentality of, you know, uh, of pooling our resources instead of just focusing on that virtual virtue signaling collective mentality, then I think we will, you know, be a lot better off as people. And that's really yes, what's helping immigrants. I, I got I got five of them already joining the SUSU and stuff. Um, if, if, if you're good at something and I'm not good at it. One of them come to me and ask me about certain things that I know you have a degree on and I know you have um, experience in. I refer them to you. You understand? And I say, well, I know this person. Um, he's good at that. He did this, this, and that. Um, I could reach out to that person to see, you know, if he will be able to help you. You know, that's how you help someone to get ahead. You understand? If I'm good, you know, uh, of shining shoes, and I'm the best shoe shiner in town. You understand? So if someone else is trying to do the business, it'd be like, hey, I would like to know what's involved, you know, in shining shoes, this, this, and that. Then that person will be me to refer that person to, to help that person out. I remember when I started my, my cleaning company, right? There was um, a lot of um, immigrants there trying to get government bid. Do you know? They were helping one another to show them what to put here, what to put there, and stuff like that. Even the um, the, um, the lady that was working for the government, oh, you guys cannot be talking to each other. You cannot say anything to each other. They were like, y'all, <laughs> what 
We lost. Right, but it shows how they're able to be collective, you know, because they're rock solid and together as a community. And they understand that they may not agree on everything and they may not always even like each other. But at the end of the day, they know that when it comes to business and when it comes to getting their money, they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they get it, regardless of the challenges that they have. And I think it's imperative that more, because we already have, like I mentioned in the beginning of the segment, um, the hustlers, you know, of our community. But we need more people in the Black community to get up and be those same hustlers, but really hustle together, you know, because everybody's saying all this stronger together and, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of these different things, you know, but we're not coming together as a community. We're not coming together as one people. And when we're, do, when, when we're not doing that, we're making a major disadvantage for ourselves, And we're stopping the, the progress that we could be making as a people because of it. And, and, and this, I would say, you know, is, is we're at the hour of, you know, of our segment. Um, but definitely that's my ending speech. Um, would you have any ending thoughts? Um, to think about um, as we end this conversation? No, I think you put it perfectly. We have to come together. Um, And hopefully when this whole thing is over, you know, that's exactly what we're going to do. You're here, brother. And I 100% agree with you. And thank you as always for continuing to have this debate with me and try to come up with some proactive solutions for the black community. And I want to thank all of you again, um, who listen to our podcast and support us. Um, again, you can find us, um, respectively on our Instagram handles. Um, I am the real Brandon Wong on Instagram and a real Brandon Wong again, or just Brandon Wong on Twitter. Um, so definitely feel free to follow me there. And Greg, you have your social media, I'm sure. Yeah, I have uh, my um, Facebook. Uh, it's my full name, Gregory Victorian. Once you type it, it's the same thing with Instagram um, and um, Twitter. Um, I use my full name. So once you type my name, uh, my um, page will pop up. And, you know, feel free to, um, you know, ask any questions, um, any concerns that you may have, um, you know, we're going to answer it. So. And I would love to have the debate. Emails. I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> uh, we also have new emails, thanks to our wonderful um, Vice President, Lee Espinoza. So uh, we are, um, actually, you can email us as well if you'd like to get in touch with any one of us. Um, our emails are, so my email is uh, bwang, W-A-N-G, at mbnusa.com. So once again, that's B as in boy, Wang, W-A-N-G, at N-B-N, New Black Nation, right? Um, USA.com. And Greg's is gvictorin at NBNUSA.com. So you can definitely email us there or connect with us on social media. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we look forward to having a debate with you guys in our next episode.